Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back. We are back. We are back. Welcome to the latest episode of The Side Eye. I am Uptown Bobby, also known as Robert Brown. And I'm Kay Clark, also known as uh, uh, him from the Pop-Up Girls. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? I was talking about him the other day with some guy uh, that I work with. He was talking mm. about how him was uh, groundbreaking. And I was like, man, I think it was, but I'm trying to remember if it was problematic or not. Because <laughs> I was still so long. <laughs> well, he was the devil. I mean, lo- not so low key. So, <laughs> or, or she, right. they, you know. Right. Uh, him, his, his name literally was him. But <laughs> yeah. But it, it did give off, you know, non binary vibes. Yeah. If, if I had the, I mean, to me, it's kind of in the same vein as like an Ursula. Or even to a degree, a scar. Where on the one hand, it's like these iconic figures that are like you know sort of go against the grain of what its gender is in a way, or just the fact that Ursula particular was based on a drag queen named Divine. But on the other hand, they're all, they are all villains, so it connects that thing with like gayness equals villainy. If you want to get all mm. deep about it, you know. <laughs> right. Well, that's a valid point. Yeah, that is a valid point. So, uh, outside of cartoon and animated villains who might not even be male villains, what is going on in your realm? Oh, uh, right now, I got a birthday looming on Tuesday, so there's that. If you well, if you let's do it now, maybe already passed, but uh, so that, that's what's happening. Um, I'm putting together all the stuff we need for a video shoot uh, that's happening next month, uh, which I forgot how much it is to get, get things together, you know, between like any props or, you know, outfits, uh, come, well, come with a look, and then also just recruiting other people for this kind of like a larger, which we call like a larger production than uh, previous videos. So there's that. Um, I'm giving them to like release some new music in the, in the new year, so. Nice, nice. Oh, also happy, happy belated. But no, it's a Tuesday, so not, oh, not Tuesday. yet. Yeah. About <laughs> time this episode out. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I I know your birthday is in November. I always forget which day. I got mm-hmm. a sister whose birthday is in November. Her birthday was on the eighteenth. Okay. So yeah. Um. Oh no. As for me, uh, I'm just doing regular, regular everyday life shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I love talking to my friends who are artists. Uh, like yourself because y'all have it's like y'all are superheroes like y'all have y'all everyday life but then y'all take off the you know the monotony <laughs> ordinary uniform and y'all put on y'all you know phone superhero yeah. yeah superhero yeah. outfit and then y'all get to be y'all's uh alter egos or, or honestly probably y'all true selves <laughs> as these artists uh so i always look at y'all as inspiration and as a way to Step outside the grain and live life because my everyday life is pretty much just, you know, wake up, go to work, uh, open my laptop, do some schoolwork. Or sometimes when I do go actually on campus and just everyday life stuff. So I think that's a good segue into artistry and a particular artist who is doing their own thing on their own terms, uh, Mr. Andre 3000 Benjamin, who last week, I'm not going to say shocked the world, but kind of led us more into about his current status because the man has been just 
in and out of our lives for like really the last almost 20 years as far as like what he's doing musically, what he's doing personally. It's like he always gives you enough, but he never gives you like every detail, which is kind of refreshing uh, considering that today most celebrities' whole lives are open books. Hmm. So Andre 3000 revealed, I want to say NPR broke the story first uh, with an interview that he was doing an album but not the album many of his fans have been wanting and craving for years. He was doing um, more so uh, what what I call it an instrumental album. Uh, but, you know, with his flute that he's been playing famously the last few years, but in random places, uh, as he said in a GQ interview, he wanted to make it more so than a Where's Waldo moment of him just popping up playing the flute. He wanted to actually do a body of work uh, that that he claims he's also been doing by other names throughout the years uh, on albums and songs, you know, under different names and all that. So basically, Andre 2000 dropped a new album, no rapping, just him playing the flute. Uh, Kay Clark, what were your what were your thoughts when you first heard about it? Uh, were you shocked? Were you excited? Were you inspired? Uh, my first thought was like, well, that's on brand because he's, mm-hmm. he's, you know, we've seen him in various, like you said, in various spots playing the flute or didgeridooing with it, or you know, just different wind instruments basically. Um, and so he's expressed more than a few times, you know, even going back to that last album, that last Outcast album, you know, speak, speak about a little below that he just wasn't inspired by a rap, he didn't know what to do, is why he started singing, and that's why he started kind of, you know, going from this other direction. So in a way, it's a continuation of what he was already doing. If you look at it that way. Um, so I wasn't surprised really. Um uh, and then listening to the album, uh I listened to it a little bit Friday, I think, and I listened to it, I listened to it a whole way through today this morning, actually. Um and yeah, it's, it's to me it's like a, a a less beat heavy flying lotus album in a way. If you if you listen to Flying <laughs> Lotus. Um because he does instrumental stuff and, and it's very like his stuff is very more aggressive, like you know, jazz and it's a little bit of hip hop and a little bit of like electronica and, and like, like dark ambient stuff, like all mixed together and things, you know. At least particularly like um Until the Quiet Comes, which came out about 10 years ago now. That's why I remember listening to a lot. And then the one for that, uh, I think it was called um I think it's called like You're Dead or something like that, with he had like a track with Kendrick Lamar on it. It was like played on Atlanta, one episode of Atlanta. Um uh-huh. so so I think I, I look at it as like similar to that. Or even again, let's be heavy, but like you think of the albums like Daft Punk or like Disclosure, like those house electronic albums where there's really no music or there's really no vocals. Or maybe vocals here and there, but like the, the, the main thing is like the mood and the vibe of the music in a way. Um, Tour Why More, Why More is another one that comes to mind. So all that type of stuff. But I think obviously the expression, everybody wants to hear him, him rap because the times that he has rapped, whether that's on a Frank Ocean album uh, or on a Beyonce's album, you know, on, on Four, um, trying to think of another one, uh, Anderson Pack. You no, know, there's it, it's been these like um, guest verses here and there that like, give people a taste and people, you know, that, that gets anticipation because, you know, I think even for the, for the children who weren't there during our cast peak, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a, an aura of like, man, that's, you know, 3,000, at least I think so. Maybe not, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe 20 years like, I don't know. I don't care about that nigga. But, uh, um, <laughs> you know, um, but that, there's a certain like mystique about him because 
for the ones who didn't live through it and which we kind of barely through it because we, we were pretty much kids when they were you know making the albums but right. so for the ones that lived through it or, or kind of kind of the younger cousins or the younger siblings at the time that was all happening there's a sort of mystique about his ability and, and why he's one of the greats quote unquote and so and for so if you're a 20 year old kid you really haven't seen that in action and so it probably wasn't anticipation but then it was like oh bloops okay all right you know um and then yes, was I inspired by it? Um, yeah, and as I am in the sense that uh, he is doing what makes sense to him. And I think, uh, as opposed to say, you know, a Miss Hill, a Lauren Hill, uh, um, he recognizes where he is now, what he is comfortable doing. Seemingly, at least I have. I know the interview he did with GQ that I haven't watched it, but I, I watched the interview he did with Ruben it was about two, three years ago, I think. And he's he's very open about the fact that he doesn't, he, he just isn't inspired to rap or do, I guess, like a full rap album. Um, he really is inspired probably to get to get back together with Big Boy, even though they're, they're good on a personal level. Um, he's just very okay with where he is right now. And, and this is what he has for the audience. So the audience can either, we as an audience can either uh, accept it or not accept it. And I, I say that, that unlike Miss Hill or Lauren, it's not he's not blaming us for our reaction, if that makes sense. It's not like you know, y'all should look at I show up to this place so my, my presence is a presence type of type of energy. You know, you know, I gotta get my chakras together. You know, this is very much chakra music in a sense. Uh, as, as far as like you know, what you can use it for. Um, he is. He, I think that's probably what it is inspiring that in that way. He sort of recognized, okay, I, I'm not in the mode that I was when I made when we made a criminal or um, stank on you. You know, but I still am craving myself something that I want to put out. And this is what I'm putting out. You know, I'm not necessarily just man. man I used to play him. I haven't, I haven't seen any video where he's like, you know, well, niggas don't get it then. You know, they ain't on it then. Whatever. You know, they look at it. even made it out. It's, it's not there. And just like, this is what I got to give y'all. Y'all like it. You don't. You know. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think I like the point you made about him and Lauren Hill, who are on two different planes. And you know, Lauren Hill is doing a lot of this because she infamously owed the IRS and, you know, niggas got to eat. So uh, a lot of that is because she has to do this. And I don't think he has to do this. Um, you know, I think this is just something that just came about. You know, I don't know the contract situation or the album, but it's it's kind of cool just to see beyond, you know, your whatever you listen to music on and see Andre 3000 and a track list that's real so that's that's cool um to be honest i found the interviews he's had with npr and gq more interesting than the music um more entertaining than the music uh mm-hmm. i think it's cool that he's being open i think it's cool he's back on the scene and just talking about his creative process and how he's been um you see a man who's just very ordinary now very regular uh he said at one point in the gq interview interview that fame is inhumane um, so I, I'm not trying to say he's running from anything, but he just I, he just doesn't seem to particularly care about being famous at this point. Uh, he was doing laundry in the interview and at a laundromat, and he talked about how he just enjoys coming to laundromats and just I, I like very like zen, just chill vibes, you know. Just he's like basically being the guy that we've been seeing for the last few years, but yet fleshing it out some. Um. 
So real quick, I saw something when you said he, he they quote famously humane, which I get what he's saying. And, and it's, well, I mean, I am not famous, but I, I get what he's getting as far as like people, maybe the expectations that people have when someone is famous, mm-hmm. particularly and has that status that he has. But at the same time, I thought like the reason why he can do laundry in a in a random wash tier or whatever, and people are just like, oh, that's three thousand, is because he's three thousand. <laughs> the fame right. kind of allows him to be to be. Uh, to quote unquote get away, quote unquote, with things right, that, right. that a normal person necessarily wouldn't, or have the luxury of, of being able to do that. You know, playing flute in a random airport. If you know you and I did it's like you know, it's like it's like weird. Yeah, but he does. Like, oh, well, that's three thousand. Yeah, yeah, and I think some of that makes this album um, fly fly more. Because honestly, let's be real. The music is okay. Like I didn't find it groundbreaking or just transcended really. I I enjoyed it for, for what it was, but like there's, like you mentioned, um, uh, Flying Lotus. There's lots of artists who do music like this. Um, that's available out there that you can listen to. That's honestly better. Uh, I didn't find it transcended. I didn't find it groundbreaking. I didn't find it. I found it okay. You know, um, I'll play it again, but more so, it's just it's just great. It's not not great, but like glorified background music. Honestly, like I went, I played it last. I played it Friday night when I was doing some uh, some writing, and I went to sleep while I was on, and I woke up while I was on, and it's just like mm, it's just good background music. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think it was really that, and also I think a lot of it is designed to. I don't want to say hide his. Uh, flu plan, but I think, I think he's still. I, I mean, I don't think he's able to do shows, but he just playing that flute all night like that. Well, he, I think yeah, he, he 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 not on Lizzo level, too. Right, he's a yeah. novice, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's produced in a certain way to kind of hide that or enhance that because he he's just not a uh, a great flute player now. You know, like you mentioned Lizzo, he's not on that level. He's probably not better than some kids in band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like that he's he's just he does this for fun. It's a it's a hobby, you know. Um, uh, so I think the production on that album is like that for a reason to kind of like cover up some of the fact that you know he's he this is something he does on the side. This isn't like his rapping is gifted, you know. This isn't the same. But I think the biggest thing to take from this is how freeing it seems he is by doing this and like as artists, I think sometimes people are pressured to perform or pressured to, to present a certain way. And he's kind of like, no, I'm not doing that right now. I think he is a bit disingenuous when he mentions he doesn't have any raps. Cause I mean, he still does that thing where he pops up and sprinkles uh, 16s on things where he's, where he feels like it. I'm not questioning the fact that he might not be, but I think him saying like, oh, what am I going to rap about going to colonoscopy? I think that's disingenuous when he has a feature this year on a Killer Mike album. And he had a feature a few years ago uh, on Kanye's album that everybody seemed to love. Um, So I think he can rap. He can, he could make an album of raps if he wanted to. He just doesn't want to. I think that's the thing that he doesn't really want to say. He, so he kind of like covers it up with like, oh, I'm 48. It's like you're 48, but you, you still technically do rap. You just do it when you want to. So that's the kind of, I mean, I kind of think that's, he does that with like a shit-eating grin because it's like, you 
you just don't want to rap, and that's fine. But don't don't say that. Oh, I'm 48. You know what? What am I gonna rap about? Colonoscopy. It's like, nigga, you could rap about more than that. <laughs> well, you know, as you've shown throughout, like now to like the last few years, it's not like he's on no track talking about he woke up and you know made some tea and his back hurts or shit like that. Mm-hmm. He's been able to make captivating verses still at at this age and at this point in his life. But I just don't think he wants to. And I don't think he wants to say it like that because he might disappoint some people even more. But he he just don't want to. And that's fine. I think that's cool he don't want to. Because why force it? You know, why make an album full of shit that you didn't even care about, but you did it because that's what people want. So I think that's cool that he decided, hey, I'm going to just play this flute. Yeah. Um, I thought the album title thing was kind of corny. Uh because honestly, I think also that I think also it, it goes to another point I made about the shit being kind of basic, and I, it's really one long song to me. Like I haven't heard it enough to have favorites, but I haven't heard anything that's like I'm gonna play this particular track back. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, no, nah, it's just like I said, it's just background music, and uh, I think I think it's dope that he did it, but. I think people who are saying, like, if you don't like it, it's because you need to elevate your mind. It's like, all right, nigga, like, relax. <laughs> like, the shit is very, very fucking basic. Like, let's not, some people saying it's got healing properties. And like, I'm like, all right. Like, well, it, I'm, not just, I'm not dismissing it all yeah. right. You know, I haven't done the research to say that it has healing properties or what frequency it's on. But don't be out here calling people basically, like, Basic because no they ain't enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, because the shit is not that deep. It's not that complex of an album. Like I said, it's background music to me. And you can find other artists who do this shit. Like you mentioned, Flying Lotus. It's just it's a lot of artists. It's a lot of instrumentals out there where you can just listen to some shit like this that's lo-fi and pretty chill. You know, but it doesn't have to be this. I don't think this is the standard of that sound. Just because Andre three thousand is attached to it, I think his fanboys or his loyals are, are being a bit um uh what's the word I'm thinking about pretentious by trying to label this as something that it's really not. This is just a this is just a passion project by done by somebody who wanted to get it out in the world and stop sitting on it. You know, I don't who who knows how long he's had these fucking tracks anyway. Um. Mm. I don't know. But like I said, I've enjoyed the rollout more than I did the music. And I'm not saying that's a problem, but I think it's more so just because he's so to himself that the fact that he finally sat down and told people, you know, hey, this is what I'm doing now. Enjoy. I think that's cool. and I think that's more interesting than the music. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is music that you can you know. I think it's definitely made for like meditation or yoga or like some type of like activity that that would you know put you in touch with yourself that makes sense or you know or sort of sort of a meditative calming practice whatever that is for some for you uh or even just like like say background music you know I, I like I said when I was this dude I was you know uh putting some sequence on some address or whatever um but or even like going to sleep you know that's that's some you know sort of calm meditative sort of music you know um it's, it's it's made it's been made for all that depending on you know what you want to use it for. Um, as far as him r- rapping, like I said, I think with the verses, he'll rap the verse because that's all it is. It's just one verse. 
It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm, I'm sure if it comes in, the artist that he's featured on, they already have the concept. The music is already there. He has to slip, get in where he sort of fits in and, and fit the mood or the vibe of the record with, with, his, with, with his verse. You know, whereas with a whole album, you know, that's a whole album. You know, and particularly, particularly with Outkast, pretty much all the albums had concepts. It wasn't just like a, a collection of songs. It was like, you know, Southern Playlistic, then it was like ATLians and Equimini, Stink On You, Love Below. All those records had concepts, you know, beyond just just a, a track list. And so I think for him, that's kind of like a daunting task to do, try to put that all together because he's spoken on, on that. And just the fact that uh, he has to like, he carries a whole, at this point, almost a whole 30-year legacy with him and expectations with him. And I think maybe that 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 can and maybe that weighs on him a lot. Um, and also, uh, I know even when just when you even listen to like his verses in in Outkast, quote unquote, heyday. You know what he said on Rosa Parks. You know, you're only funky is the last cut. Or I, I remember reading interviews where he like he seemed like he was really like scared of like falling off. You know, so I think it's all that tied into it as well. Yeah, uh, I agree with that too. Uh... I just I just think the conversation is right. It, it was so funny that um, you know people saying that oh man this is like this uh, just that type of music this that type of vibe and I'm like what the fuck does that mean? It's not like a lot of people remember the episode of Boondocks with the cousin with the head wrap on and the the shiki and all this shit. That's what a lot of the niggas sound like. That's like trying to make this album sound like more than what it is. It's like it's I'm trying, it's trying a, to make I'm trying to make fetch happen. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's, cool. About it. <laughs> it's cool if you enjoy it, you know, but don't don't make people feel bad if they if they didn't I, I think it, what or... I think what that gets at is like because you know if you're in the music, you see if you like a you're a fan, if you're a fan of an artist, yeah, you're a fan of the artist, but it's also like a signifier of you, of like mm-hmm. your own your, your own taste level, your own intellect, your expertise. Like you say, like, you know, I'm in uh someone said, Oh, I listen to um to uh, Sierra, and say, okay, well, I listen to Erica Badu, and that means I, <laughs> that, that, that means I means I mentioned it, it signifies you're in a such and such such. Not that it's, uh, Sierra isn't good, but you know what I mean. It's like it's, people you people use use artists as a way to like you know build themselves up. And so if you if you're a fan of Andre Thousand and you had expectations for the album, and then the album comes out, and even internally it may not be what you want. You want projection out. You want project outwardly to the people that aren't part of the quote unquote tribe. That you know, no, no, that's good. It's good. And if it ain't good, it's because you, you don't get it. Like we get it. You know, it's, it's like uh, it kind of reminds me of like um, what, what, what Madonna what album was that? Um, American Life, where it was uh-huh. like that was kind of, that was like her first like commercial flop basically of her career. And even internally, at least from podcasts I listened to of uh, within the fan base, some people weren't, weren't weren't really here for it, but outwardly they they supported it and were here for it because. They're part of the trial because even the time, I mean, I, I remember thinking that was it because that was the era where she was like, you know, it was that album and then it was like kids' books. She was like living in England and then I remember looking at the books of me and it was like this post she did for, uh, I think for Vogue or something where she was like feeding chickens and shit. And I was like, girl, what is this? You know, <laughs> but, but but I was a fan. I was I was on. I, I, you know, I, you know I, I was still was was in it. You know, so I think it's like that a bit with Andre, you know, master chickens. Yeah, people just like I also think people I think people are so in love with the idea of celebrity that to see somebody resist that makes mm. them be like, ooh, what's this? Oh, mm. what's going on? Why does yeah. he why does he why does he not want to be famous? It's like, mm. ooh. And also people 
people don't a lot of people nowadays don't really have hobbies or like enough time to be active in their hobbies. Hmm. So to see somebody fully embrace a hobby and like go as far as even making like music and releasing it is even more exciting, I guess, or another thing that they want to put on the mountain and be like, oh wow, this is look at this man. And it's like it's cool. I think it's great, but I mean, this is a nigga with a hobby. You know, a nigga who has time to have a hobby. And that's, and that's I guess that's another thing you were mentioning about his lack of wanting to be famous. Not you're not. I guess you're not really too impressed by it because he's like, well, him being famous at one point gave him the freedom to be able to move like this because it's, yeah, he's still rich. Well, to what we know of. It was it's a yeah, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. If like on the one hand he may resist it and, and feel trapped by the expectations of being Andre Thousand, but because he is quote unquote Andre Thousand, he's able to, you know, dip out of the of the modern scene and not care about fitting into the scene, just put out an album with him playing the flute. <laughs> yes. And uh it's it's like I said, it's been interesting to see this happen i think the the it's so many dialogues going on at once it's one about like creativity it's one about fame it's one about like age and ageism you know do you with something like rap where much of the the content is about like um it's like braggadocious it's it's about um being number one it's about uh, well, it also is morphed into like things about materialism, things like that. It's like at one point, at some point, does age become a factor in this? Like, can you not be a part of something like this, even though it is older than him? Uh, but 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 because you're in your forties now, or you might prefer a certain type of scene versus the club or going out. Like, do do you think there's some merit to what he's saying? Like uh, about being forty eight and like him joking. Like I said earlier, I th- I do think it's disingenuous. He says that oh I can't rap because I'm forty eight. What mm-hmm. am I what am I gonna rap about? Because the nigga's still rapping. Mm-hmm. But um, do you think there's some merit to what he's saying about the age part? Um, yeah. I mean, I think well, I think we're seeing that now. With like the question now is, can rappers age and how will they age? Because and can they age and still make music that 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 will connect with an audience? I mean, you see that with Jay Z with four forty four. You know, that was a minute ago, but still, you know, he he was in his, solidly in his sports when he made that album. Um, you see that with like uh, Killer Mike with uh, what's what's, what's it called Griselda? I think that, that they're they're kind of older rappers. Uh, Wu Tang puts out things here and there. Um, you know, um, uh, so I think we're seeing it now. Like of the the thing is, can what is what is a middle aged rappers? Career that isn't who is an actor primarily, or, or who's segwaying to being an actor, or quote unquote being a brand. What does that look like? You know, I think it's possible because I mean, yeah, yeah, rap is you driven, but 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 compared to other genres, you know, because by the because because you compare it to rock, you know, by the time you get to the eighties, all those all those rocker, rockers who were active in the fifties or, or or the early sixties or or seventies or, or whatever, they were all entering their forties, and the question was. How will rockers look at 40s, going to their 40s, going to their 50s, now in the 60s, 70s? I mean, you got the Rolling Stones, you know, in their 80s almost, I think in the early 80s, still getting on stage and, you know, performing. So that question for them has kind of been answered. With R&B, well, with modern R&B, a similar thing. You got 
the Patti LaBelle's and the Gladys Knights and, and you know, still in and the temptations and people still performing, you know, in, in different things. Um I think uh so and the question is I think it's possible for rappers to get older and still do it. They just have to be they have to find a way to do it that makes sense to them and makes sense to their audience. Um in terms of like and it, I think it also is just on each individual because you know you got I remember uh this is a random reference but Grace Slick from uh Jefferson Airplane was a rock band in the 60s. I remember she was so quote she had was like you know I don't think anyone over the age of I don't think she said I don't know if she said a specific age but she said I don't think I don't I don't want to go on stage and pretend I'm 25 is what she says something to that effect meaning that she felt like she hit a certain age and she she wasn't gonna she wasn't gonna perform anymore you know because her it felt like you know weird or, or I guess embarrassing to be like chance she was like in her 20s to be, and get on stage um but you on the opposite so he may feel similar to that in terms of like you know this is a young man's game you know I can't get on stage until I'm 18 and be rapping about you know crumbling the herb or whatever or whatever um but I think you know if that's how he feels as, as an artist then that's how it's, that's his own personal journey whatever you want to call it yeah it's going because you know I was you know going back to Madonna she's you know 65 you know doing a whole world tour despite people saying, you know, oh, she's too old, she's too old, she's too old, which they were saying that, you know, during uh, the early 90s, she was in her, in her mid-30s. <laughs> so, you know, I guess it's, 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 if you compare, like, rap to, to, like, to, like, pop, in particular, like, female pop artists, you know, they they tend to, like, as they get older, you know, the question is, can they age? And can they still do it? You think it's, like, it's, it's like the modern female archetype of a pop star, the in that mode of like a Madonna or you get or you're getting like Christina Aguilera, Britney, Beyonce, you know, can they keep can they still bony spectacles and do and do this thing that they've established once they pass a certain age date, you know. So it really it's really up to him, I think, in terms on a personal level. But in terms of rappers in general, I think it is possible. They just have to carve out that lane. <laughs> Right, because Nas is yeah, uh, yeah, him, yeah. It's in his fifties now. He's he's had like a second, well, like a third uh, breath of fresh air. Like he's 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 dropped like, whoo, he's done like maybe five projects within like maybe the last three years. So you know he's proof that you can be older and still rap. You know, like you mentioned, Jay Z with four forty four. So it's possible. I, I that's why I think. I think he I think he himself is having a, a moment of conflict with that. Like, do I still rap because this is what made me my livelihood? This is what's made me famous. This is my, you know, I I, I do think it still is a a passion for him. But do I want to or do mm-hmm. I have to? You know, I think he he himself is at conflict because he's bringing this stuff up. I mean, he gets asked to get fairly, but you know, he he always pulls this back because he even had a quote like some years ago about rap being like a young man's game. And, you know, he, he feels like he's, you know, he, he needs to step aside because, you know, it's basically for the use. And I get what he's saying, but it's like, he keeps coming back to this point. It's like, well, nigga, do you, how do you, do, do you feel conflicted about this shit? Like, are you having like inner dialogue with, to yourself about this? Because to me, that's why I feel like it's a bit disingenuous when you still rap. You're actively still rapping, but it's at yeah. your time 
and it's at your leisure. Mm. But, you know, then you're saying, like, oh, I can't rap because I'm 48. You know, who want to hear me rap about colonoscopy? It's like, nigga, you ain't rap about no fucking colonoscopy. But you, I mean, if, 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 you, if you can make it efficient enough, you can. I mean, because... Right, mean, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Because the people who bought Southern Playlistic back in 94, they are the ones getting colonoscopies now. They are, they are the ones <laughs> that, with, 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 with children in, in college and, and just... You know, grown up shit. <laughs> you, know, right. you know, they 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 are living what you saying. Now I'm living because you you're rich, but they are living what you are experiencing too. In terms of just like right. re reckoning with middle age and you know children getting over and leaving the house and retiring. And what is this part of my life like? That is all fertile lyrical ground to explore. If you exactly. Want to. <laughs> and people will listen to it because he's Andre three thousand. I think any rap album he would put out, it would get. People would give it a let, just like people giving this flute album. A listen, I had a, a, I got a, a, a friend who listened to it. I'm sure, I'm, I think they might have had no idea what to expect. They, they said they were pissed off, but they listened to it because it's Andre Three Thousand. So if he did drop an album rapping about like I guess old old nigga shit, you know, somebody gonna listen to it because he's Andre Three Thousand. Mm -hmm. You know, uh. He's, and, he's, and, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying he's gained that type of trust with people musically. Mm. And who would say he couldn't still do like you know make still have that sort of fantastical otherworldly type of image? Because I mean, she Kate Bush out here, and she you know older than older than uh he is, and she still has that kind of like ethereal, you know, um, otherworldly sort of persona. You know, same with uh. Right. Same with uh, Grace Jones, or you know, she still right. get on stage and you know have her in her in her Grace Jonesness and, and does what she does. So, and even when you think about like the love below, it wasn't a rapidly rap 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 album. You know, a lot of that was like him singing, him like almost doing like poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, like it was just a lot of music that he did on that album. Even the album he did when he was um based off that cartoon, uh, Mr. Three, whatever it was, was Mr. Three Thousand or some shit, Three Thousands class, I don't know. But like he's been doing music that sounds more than just traditional rap for a for a long time. So I think it's like he could do another project that's not like rap only. It could be like a hybrid of rap, it could be the flute playing, it could be all that shit. Mm -hmm. He just don't want to. And I, I want him. Well, I don't want him to do shit. You know, he ain't got to do shit for me. <laughs> but I I would appreciate it more if he was just like, hey, yeah, I could still rap. That's not hard, but I don't want to do it. Versus, oh, you know, the old man shit. Because, like, mm -hmm. nigga, you still can rap. Full <laughs> you, you can do the shit if you want to, but you don't want to. And that's fine if you don't want to. But, um, so moving along, I guess one last question I ask you is, would you listen to the album again, or are you going to listen to it again? Is it going to be something you put in rotation? I think it, I, that's a, it, that's one of the albums you got to be in particular mood to listen to, I think. Mm -hmm. It's like, because like I said, it's very, it's all instrumental, and it's not necessarily like, even to compare it to like a Flying Lotus or a, a like a Daft Punk album, you know, even even with... If you pull on a Daft Punk album, yeah, there's vocals here and there, but and it's it's mostly music, but it's still like a a driving. It's, it's more of a, especially with Daft Punk, it's more of a pop song structure. Uh, Flying Low is not so much, but it's still like you know maybe Kendrick Lamar on the track, or maybe some vocals on the track, or maybe like some weird detour where it's like oh the beat kick in, you know, or, you know it's, it's like but with this is a very much just airy, 
ethereal, moves where it moves, goes where it goes type of music. So if I think I, I have to be in particular headspace to want to listen to it. Um, but I, I, mean, I would I would go back to it, um, you know, every now and then. I wouldn't say it all the time, but just, you know, if I'm, if maybe maybe it is maybe to go to sleep, maybe to, uh, to, to just kind of, it's not, like, it's not gonna be more of a headphone album because it's gonna be probably like a lot going on. You can't actually hear if you're playing it on your phone. So that's why I was like, you know, I got time. I'm gonna buy about and just you know sit and lay back. Right. What about you? What about you? Um, I will listen to it again. I think it's something I'll go to if I just want to uh, chill out. You know, if I, I just, um. If I just want to relax or if I'm doing yoga or when I was writing the other night, it was cool to have in the background, but I I just still don't think uh, that it's particularly great. <laughs> and it's not, I'm not saying I was expecting greatness, but I just like, I'm, I'm going to listen to it because it's just been thrust upon me and like, I think it's good background music, but there, mm. it made me also want to look at other artists that I like who make lo-fi type music, like Kiefer. Um, there's a guy named Danny, Danny Swain, who was a rapper, uh, indie guy, and he did. He was a producer too, and he did instrumental albums, and it made mm. me go back and listen to those. So, if anything, it's made me go back and really like listen more to like instrumental albums that I like from particular artists that I haven't listened to in a while. So mm. I think that's good that it did that for me uh, personally, but I'm glad he got to do his uh, project. I'm glad it came out. I'm glad it happened. I think the dialogue is cool. I think the rollout was better than the music. I still stand by that, but you know, overall it was a good moment to have to bring some, um, life into what I feel like has been like a bland year for hip hop as far as like um the big projects and stuff like that. I haven't really been inspired to really listen to a lot of rap lately, honestly. Um because it just I don't know. Nothing's moved me. So to hear one of rap's uh greats do something, you know, different and talk about why he's doing it different. That's been that's been cool. It's been a good conversation, I guess, about uh, how do you grow with hip hop? How do you grow older in it? How are the people who, you know, we grew up listening to and kind of like, uh, I don't, I'm not going to call it forefathers, but like big artists are dealing with aging in hip hop and a platform that like is still very homophobic, sexist, you know, uh, misogynistic, violent. Um, capitalist, you know, how do you how do you grow old and move away from something that can be sometimes so consuming and, and, and low-key evil? I don't want to say evil. <laughs> well, evil might be a strong word, but yeah. like just so negative. Yeah, it's it's very much like a well, I mean, I mean, Rock has similar qualities as far as like the the, the misogyny and, and the you know that macho sort of uh, attitude, things like that. So it's a similar thing. Uh, yeah, but but not so outright particularly uh violent to where it's like life imitating art mm -hmm. well i think it probably depends on who you are because i mean that never was really outcast or uh, certainly wasn't andre's image so no, in a no, way no, so no. in a way he was he sort of he sort of helped lay the foundation for himself in, in, in his younger days when he started you know wearing a little turban and, and and all the different wigs and outfits you know that 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 changed the expectations for him as as a 
for him as opposed to like someone like a, a an ice cube you know you know he 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 set a different path for himself in that way yeah truly yeah true i I never give the gq interview i read when i was younger like we were like in middle school and i remember they were like i think uh stankonia just came out and a uh, big boy was talking about some man i got people stop me to the side asking me what's going on with andre you know he acting different is he gay you know because that was when like you mm -hmm. know he's wearing the wigs he's mm -hmm. wearing like the sequence you know it was just a, a huge transition from like when he first came out on Southern mm -hmm. Player, you know, Cadillac Music wearing jerseys and just braids, mm -hmm. you know, to now he's like got these like full ensembles on, you know. So it was interesting. It's always been interesting seeing his like growth from when he first came out to like the middle phase to like the, the big artist phase to like now. And it's just, it's, it's been a cool journey to witness. Um, I think that's just something people just gravitate towards him about just the the the, the ever-changing journey of him like well big boy has been just consistent you know big boy was always consistent as far as his appearance his rapping just straightforward nigga like cool <laughs> cool cool nigga you know that got some edge to him but at the end of the day just a cool nigga hmm. well andre's been like this mystery this 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 myth almost this this legend that's just been created by other people in himself. And I think, I always say, I always felt like that was unfair to Big Boy because people act like Outkast was like a one person mm -hmm. thing yeah. when it was a two man group. And also, I like when people like Andre 3000, it's like they top five, one of the best. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not, I'm not going to challenge that because of like, you know, you're talking about strictly like the raps, I guess. But it's like, but he was in a group. But it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, it's like, it's like ah. I'm like, but is he? Like, because rapping is so, rapping other than the other art forms is like so individual, individualistic, right? Because like, for the most part, it's about you, your raps, and like your delivery and other things like that. But when you're in a group, there's a dynamic that, that gets kind of lost in there because you're sharing the stage with somebody, you're sharing the song with somebody. It's like a shared effort, you mm -hmm. know. And I'm always be like, well, you can't really. Can you say he's one of the best to ever do it if he's like done it, but in a group phase? I guess I don't know. I think that's always been um, something I, I've had to like try to understand from other people when they expand it, explain it. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I just think you know, it's, with Andre, it's just the combination of the, the rap and talent, but also just the image. The image was just so. But technically, it, was, it really wasn't all that different from rappers in the early '80s, if you think about it, in terms of like how he dressed. But I think it was like that aesthetic in the middle of you know, Death Row and Wu Tang and and, and Bad Boy is like it, it just stood out, and the fact that he could back uh -huh. it up, he, he, back, he could. It's almost like a prince, like. Most I'm sure you talked to most guys uh, that were uh, that were you know listen to Prince at that time or even after it was like you know you ain't gonna dress like Prince but you can't hate on Prince because number one he's talented number two you want to be with the girls he he with you know so he had that uh -huh. safety net uh, and Andre had a similar safety net in terms of like the talent like you you may look at him sideways what he wearing on stage but that nigga can rap you know right mm. um. So yeah, all in all, I think it was a fun experience. I hope he continues to do more of his music uh, at, at his own leisure. And yeah, we'll just continue to observe and listen if it, you know, moves us to 
Um, but speaking of people who did things on their own terms and just had their own legend, but we didn't really know much of it. Um, they are Rustin. Um, man, uh, this is a civil rights figure that uh, I knew of, but mm-hmm. didn't know much about because, I mean, obviously that was intentional. Um, he's a, a name that I, I even heard you mention it a lot when we would talk about, you know, uh, civil rights and is it inclusive of everybody and things like that. Um, it's, I'm, I'm glad this film happened. Uh, the, it's a Netflix film called uh, Rustin, uh, based on his life and his um, basically just putting the spotlight all on him for once and making him uh, the the subject matter of, of it. I think it was long overdue. Uh, there are other other pieces of film about him, but more so documentary types. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was one that featured him solely in his lover. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I looked it up uh, while I was watching the film. And it's called uh, Bayard and Me. And it's about him and his um, long-term boyfriend, Walter Negro. Walter, I think I'm saying it right. Yeah. Walter. And um, I think, this, is that who was in the movie? No, that was the, the guy who was in the movie. Was, his character was Tom, which I'm not sure if he was an actual person in his life. It was, he was like a composite right. character. Because the other guy uh, that was a preacher, he was a composite character. He wasn't a real person. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if that's Walter or not, uh, for real, but yeah, so Bayard Russell, uh, not Russell, Rustin. Rustin, hey, Rustin. Yeah. Rustin has um, there are there are things about him that exist, but this was like I guess a particular mainstream deep dive into him and who he was, and for what is worth, I, I don't particularly enjoy Netflix style productions because there's a they they all feel the same after a while. There's a there's a way they make their movies. That you could kind of predict at a moment, like the pace, the, the way it kind of sped up, um, you know, just the the, the presentation is is just very, you know, it just kind of felt like this felt like that um that uh that Ryan Clark film. What's his name? I don't think his name Ryan Clark. Who am I thinking about? The guy who gave us poles and uh, other... oh, uh, Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy. It kind of had like a little Ryan Murphy. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Like what was that? What was that project he did where uh, the people were? It was based on Hollywood, classic Hollywood. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of felt. What was it called? I can't think of the name of it, but yeah, I know know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it kind of felt like that at some moments with how kind of fast paced and how they mentioned his homosexuality. It'll be like. Well, you know how you you know he you know he kind of funny like Mm -hmm. you know shit like that. It'll be like. But I guess that's the best way you could do it now, I guess, uh, particularly, you know, just highlighting how that lifestyle, that life, that just existence wasn't tolerated then, you know, but they they saw the person in him. They they saw his potential and what he could do, his work ethic, you know, things like that he was awarded for, but they didn't respect him or see him as a whole person because of him being gay. Hmm. Um. I think there were moments that showed that in the film with some nuance. Um, because I, I do think that is a thing that exists. You know, you see someone as useful. You see what they can offer, but you also don't let them completely in because they're, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I've seen people get like, treated like that because, you know, they were gay. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we see your gifts, but we're not going to, you know, you in, but you're not really in. Yeah. You know, you can, you can fall in, you in, but fall back. Right. You can participate, but you're not really a member. All right. Uh, well, we got a little disconnected for a second, but we were talking about uh, the movie Rustin, which came out this Friday on Netflix. Um, I think you were, Rob, you were talking about um, just the style, the pace of the, of the film of Netflix and how they kind of, I think, I know for me, I, I, we were talking about it uh, before we crashed that everything, it just kind of dropped you into what was happening with the music and the pace of it, you know, which felt a little jarring to me, at, at, at least initially, especially. Right. It's it's things that it's sometimes like like I mentioned, I don't like about the, the pace of Netflix films. It's just very rushed. And mm-hmm. like if you let some things kind of slow down, you could maybe tell a better story or more fluid story. Like there's parts of his life, like him being a Quaker. I didn't know that. But I think it's great that they mentioned it, but I don't think they spent enough time maybe talking about that, how it maybe like kind of developed who he was because I know it was parts of them where he he mentioned it but it was like I, I would have liked more time on that maybe to even explain what the, the Quaker life is really to me like mm-hmm. um, how how you know how did his family really do like how did they even end up in that type of uh, environment or you know how did he get away from them and do his own thing just I don't know more shit like that Mm. I'm not saying you had to go all the way to him being like a baby. I don't think that's always necessary in biopics, but it's like just some more details, you know. Now, I do like the fact that they did address, you know, him obviously being gay um, or, you know, him having lovers and things of that sort. Like I always say, movies like that, I don't need you necessarily, you know, um, well, I'm not going to say I, I have no problem with, you know, sex scenes, but I, do you have to do a sex scene in movies to show that a person, you know, is in love or like someone or is interested? No, you know, but, you know, if you want to, I think that's fine. Um, they, they showed, you know, I think at the most a kiss um, mm-hmm. with him and Tom, uh, who I don't yeah. know was real or, you know, maybe a I don't know, but he he did have a lover who happened to be white, but I don't think uh, his name wasn't Tom. It was, um, it was Walter, but they they met in in the late seventies. So it, right. like I said, I think I think Tom like Elias were it, 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 it may have been both like composite characters, right? Just mm-hmm. to show like maybe you know mm-hmm. give you a glimpse or a taste mm-hmm. of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I do think that the film handled that well. Uh, there's one scene where um. You know they're getting ready for the for the for the march for the rally, and then um, it's like a radio announcement. You just going mm. basically just highlighting all of his shit. You know his incident that got him arrested, um, calling him a pervert, all that type of stuff. And he just had his breaking moment. You know he he broke down, and that was a scene I thought it was it was powerful. Well, I'm not gonna say powerful is a big word, but it was a it was a a lot to process and all, but I think if they slowed it down a little bit more, maybe it would have hit a little harder, you know, with him having to, all that pressure and everything, him just finally breaking down and running and stuff like that. I, I think even even going more in that scene that got him, you know, caught up and got it added to his record of him being arrested, 
adding more time with that would have helped maybe to flesh out, you know, the thing. I know you only have so much time in a movie and you have to hit your spots, but it, it, some things I think could have gotten a little more time and care to, to show us, you know, exactly just how much shit he had to overcome and, and deal with, you know. Um, I I think uh, the casting was really good, you know. The guy who played Martin was decent. It's hard to play Martin Luther King because it's such a historic figure, but he, the way he was able to, like, you know, he, did, I, he didn't really talk much, but the faces he made, you know, I kind of mm-hmm. got him. Like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Um, even the actor, um, was it Coleman Domingo? Cole yeah. Domingo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he did a good job. I think, I don't think it was too over the top. I think it was some parts, maybe he could have toned it down some, but I think he did a great job. He did what he was required to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 the hair, you know, was the historic figures are hard to pull off completely overall, but I think they did the best they could with, you know, with the makeup and the hair. Um, I, I, it never I, yeah, I feel like they did a good job wig wise with the, uh, with yeah. the hair. It did feel yeah. like a Tyler Perry production. Mm-hmm. So, but um, it, speaking of him, I think my mom said that she said, why didn't they get him to play him? And I think, <laughs> and I laughed when she said that because I was like, "Why did why did why did he pop up to you?" And she was like, "Well, you know, he he I don't know." She 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 said she kind of could see him doing it. And I was like, "Well, Neither he does me. have he does have the chops." I, I I for all for all the things against him, I do think Tyler Perry can act. I think he can act. I think he's a capable actor. I think if he gave himself more to the craft and did things that didn't have to have his, you know, name on it. If he let other people direct stuff or, you know, he lent himself to other people's projects, I do think he would be better off as an actor. Mm-hmm. But he he wouldn't take a role like that because of the subject matter. And I think he just, he doesn't, it, he wants to talk about gayness on his own terms. Mm-hmm. And, and usually those terms are very um, <clears throat> I'm not gonna say detrimental because you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's like over the top, um, kind of problematic shit. You know, he that's how he likes to talk about that. This would be too heavy. That would be too heavy for him. Um, but the actor who was given the task, I think they did a good job. Yeah, I, I, I think overall, it's a, he, he family too. So yeah. Oh, he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um. I, I think the movie was good. I think it was good. It was serviceable. It did what it had to do. It was educational. I think it's something that you could show to someone who's younger and say, hey, here's someone who had a serious role and a serious uh, impact on the civil rights movement, but they got overlooked because they were gay. You know, or, you know they were different from everyone else in a way that they couldn't, they couldn't hide and they didn't want to hide. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to show to someone who's younger and like uh, just share this this story with them. So that I think I think that's good that it exists, you know, uh criticisms aside. Now what did what did, what did you think? What was your overall view on it? Is that like I think the pace could have been a bit slower, like you were saying, because it moving it moving so fast you can really get to settle in, into many of like the more emotional moments. Um like the arrest uh for him with the two guys 
or even just like the incident with he got on the bus in like the early 40s and that's where he got this tooth knocked out by a, a policeman uh or even a moment like you said they were announcing the uh it was like exposing his past and, and it came over the radio um they have another more of those moments to really sit with what was happening rather than really kind of speed through it would have been a bit better it felt very uh uh it's very fast paced. I was gonna say almost almost like Disney esque, but not not necessarily like that. But it's like they want to hit certain beats rather than really sink into the character, if that makes sense, into, into the person. Um, I do like that they highlight uh, both the obviously the racism and everything that's happened at, at that time, or the overt segregation, you know, at least Jim Crow laws and anything else. They also saw like the prejudice that they faced, uh, in particular as gay men. I don't see I don't think they featured any, any lesbians or any parts of the other parts of the community. But it's the part where like they he was going to the bar to meet um Elias and he saw and that basically the police had raided the bar, which was common at that time and they arrested all the men and they were in the, and they invited the press to take pictures because of course at that time, you know, being gay was still considered a mental disease and and, and um and you know, a, a basically a life ruiner, basically, if someone was was, was found out. Um, so I like that they included that, um, and just the opposition that he faced within the movement from, particularly from Adam, uh, Adam uh, Powell, I think it's who, the other guy, uh, that uh -huh. was like the, the main opposition, because um, all that really did happen, um, and, and along with the, I guess, the, the, uh, the uh, surveillance from the FBI, it likely happened as well. Um, just showing his tenacity and, and showing, uh, how kind of relentless he was. I did think some of the dialogue was very formal at times. It's like, you know, everybody spoke in such, I almost felt like they wanted, they, they were trying to make a, they were trying to translate a play into a film, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, and I don't mean that as like, in a, in a, in like a nasty way. I just mean like, like the dialogue, the dialogue, the dialogue was so formal and so like, you know, no, not, not casual. I get yeah. what you're saying because there was many parts where the character, well, where they made Barnard, it felt like he was giving monologues. Yeah, like, like the part, like matter of fact, that is something. That's something I said to myself, but you just brought it out. You brought it back because I was mm. just like, why is he always giving monologues? It's like it would be parts where he would go on rants. Yeah, and the other character would just sit there and maybe say like two words. So that yes, <laughs> that is yeah. Whew. Because that, that kind of took me out. Like, is, is this a monologue? Or is it like, are we having a conversation? And I, and, 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 and no, this this it's just how I came up with the time because it was so, it was so long and so like to the, and so on the nose to the point. You know what I mean? It didn't feel like a it didn't feel like a natural exchange between two people. No, it um, didn't. That, that's yeah. a particular scene in the in the bar with him and Silas, and he was talking about respectability politics. He was just going on and on and on. And the other dude just standing there. He was just sitting there looking, and I'm like, mm. yeah, this is <laughs> that's exactly how it yeah. felt. And I was like, and this is the weirdest place to pull reference, reference comparison that came out of my not that style. If you if you think about um Aaron Brockovich with Julia Roberts, and like mm -hmm. certain scenes where like she would kind of she would basically would like go off. But it's like they and they, I would say there were probably maybe three or four of those in that movie, but they but they sprinkled they, they were sprinkled throughout the movie. There was enough and they felt a bit more naturalistic. Like she would say, like there's a ranch of something she went on, like where um uh, I think the company offered him a, a, a initial settlement offer, and she said, "See that pissing me off." She went on, she went off on a rant, but it felt very like in character, or it felt very naturalistic, as, as opposed to like her just giving like some long soliloquy about about whatever. 
you know, they sprinkled those throughout the movie, like to, to where they it didn't feel like that, like she was just talking like to the balcony, and it, and it felt like it felt like um, more than a few times throughout uh, Russ and that, that, that buyer was talking talking to the balcony, and if he was like doing a play in you know in on Broadway and other characters, like, the way they would speak to each other, it felt less like you know we're having a conversation and more like we're reciting our you know. D- dialogue you know if that makes sense yeah i i get what you're saying yeah um i, I i'm definitely glad you said that though i i <laughs> it felt like there mm-hmm. many scenes with it mm-hmm. it was just like him just ranting and raving and then just like little yeah. to no exchange right. but she may have been very like you know talkative in that way but i think it, it could have been done in a way where it was like it's not they were using those things like just to explain who he was Rather than they, they were trying to tell into the show to use a, mm-hmm. a, a cliche, you know, writing class term. Um, and it felt like in that moment, they were, they were, trying, they were trying to explain to you this is who Bayard was rather than rather than showing this is who Bayard was. I felt like the sound of it right. showed, showed who Bayard was at that that land building when they when they when they, when they went on, then when they did those, you know, soliloquies. Um, mm-hmm. so that was one thing that stood out to me. Um, I think that's probably stuff that most kind of took me out of it a bit. For in terms of like the dialogue movement and, and and the pace as well, um, but over overall, yeah, I think it's a good people who, who haven't seen like the documentaries like Brother Outsider or or a couple of other ones that they that, that have come up. Um, I think it's a good. Uh, it's like it shows you why he was important, even though it does. And I, I think it's good that they focus on on a specific period of his life rather than try to cover his whole life. Um, you know. Because once you get to the eighties, he got more involved in, in, into the in, in the gay rights movement. Because that by that point, you know, AIDS was just ravaging the community. Um, yeah, and he died the year we were born. He died eighty seven. Yeah, um, crazy. Which I mean, he's uh he born nineteen twelve, so he's been seventy five. So you know, um, but you no, know, he he didn't. It wasn't. He wasn't older. He wasn't old. Old. He wasn't. He wasn't young either. I guess so. Um, right. But yeah, um, I think it's good they focus on on a certain period of his life, and that was obviously that was the most probably the most influential period he had in terms of like you know nationally, internationally, that was the March on Washington. Um, I know uh, just looking into his life some more, I know there are some parts of him that he is there are some way, ways he went politically that I, I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but I think as as an introduction to who he was and why he why he why he was important, it's, I think it's a good it was a good film for that. Right. Yeah, I think it's a good entry point to the man, into his character, into what he represented, and to how, um, how important and how visible LG LGBTQT uh, people are, especially when it comes to civil rights and and being black like that. Gay people didn't just pop up one day in the eighties. You know, it just <laughs> it, it's 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 something that's always been here. You know, mm. and um, my mother. It was hard for her to watch a lot of that because she she's one of the people that think gay people just popped up one day, you know, just and now they taking over for the nine nine two thousand. But <laughs> it's like it's always been here. It's always been something that has been a part of humanity, mm-hmm. um, and it's just something that we all need to accept. But yeah, I think I think it's it's a it's a solid film. It has its place. Um, like I said, I don't watch Netflix much anymore. I haven't watched Netflix regularly in a long time, but like that, that was um something I think that they they did a decent job on. Um, 
and they didn't they didn't delve too much into the the pain aspect of of his life, which I thought was okay. Like, it, it, you have to find a layered point. You, you, yes, you have to document the, the the ugly part, the brutality, but they didn't. They tried to like make it as um, polished as they could, which is a mm-hmm. good thing and a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I think why I, I guess where I mean the, the Disneyfication of it. I guess what I mean it's, it's sort of like they. They hit on the on the on the discrimination and the in the bigger tree, but it is, doesn't feel uh punishing. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because I mean we know how it ends. So I guess that, that's probably an advantage too, where like we know what's gonna happen. So they can present everything as like being like obstacles, but not necessarily being, you know, um insurmountable or like just being like, you know, this is just oh, make, make it make it feel like a, a just a, a dirge. I don't know if that makes sense, but right. Um, moving on from uh, heavy, well, Disneyfication heavy <laughs> uh, films to something I, just as heavy but a little more light as far as subject matter. Um, you got a chance to watch a documentary on Millie Vanilli um recently on Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about it overall? Because I I think there's such an interesting group, uh, not even from from so many aspects, you know, from the music, from the look, the way they were like, the way they were sold, um, them winning a Grammy, then the expose, the expose happened, the expose moment. Um, because I was. I mean, I knew of them, but only of them in pop culture lore, like mm-hmm. like people making jokes about lip syncing, and then the very monumental behind the music episode, which is like, I, I just I really wish that show still existed in the way it did uh, in the nineties and early two thousand, because it was like <laughs> it would show you so much shit, and you'd be like, what? It was like. <laughs> Like never meet your heroes, but also never watch documentaries on the music because <laughs> behind the music just let all this shit out. But that's how I remember Milli Vanilli for the most part is just like the jokes in the nineties and then that that uh, really well done behind the music episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what the documentary was trying to uh, be a corrective to because, like I said, we mean you know we same age, so we grew up in the nineties. You know we weren't. Particularly, we were around when that was happening. We weren't listening to music at that time, and so like like you, I grew up hearing the jokes and about the lip sync and about just the image and everything else, and 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 you know how they just what was presented to us. I think what the narrative has been for a long time. These, these were two just talentless hacks who just you know I either got lucky or just were uh, tried to dupe the industry and they got found out and they got punished and and so on. Good riddance. But with the documentary. It really puts into context the fact that Millie Vanilla could not have happened without um, the machine behind them. It's like any other pop star at, at throughout history, <laughs> you know, throughout the modern entertainment business. Like they, they, yeah, you have two guys, but you also have the producer. Um, I'm trying trying to look up his name. Uh, you had the producer who put who put them together. Um, uh, Frank Farian, who was to me seemed like an asshole because they they weren't the first. <laughs> He be is he was basically a guy I think a German guy who basically specialized in you know bringing in black artists having them front his uh projects because none of the, the original guy he had before Millie Vanilli uh the group he had that guy couldn't sing he was actually it was actually Frank Farron who was doing it and then once he got found out he 
discarded him. Same thing happened with Millie Vanilli, and the same thing happened, happened after Millie Vanilli with the new Millie Vanilli, quote unquote, who also had lip singing, lip syncing as well. So that was a kind of singing like his mo that he would like take in black talent, exploit it, and then discard it. Um, and so going back to the documentary, I think the documentary really shows that you know, you strip away all the scandal, and here you have two young guys who came from you know poor backgrounds, abusive backgrounds, and particularly a uh, Rob. A group seem to grow up in a very he just seemed to have a deep need to be uh a deep hole from his childhood experiences and, they, and a need to be loved. You think about it, uh, um Fabrice is from France, Rob is from Germany, you know, they're already in an environment where they're probably like the only one in each in, where everywhere they go. So you can imagine what that was like because like, they you know, let's say they grew up in the you know, late 60s throughout the 70s into the early 80s, you know, think what that would have been like if two black guys in that environment, you know. Um, and so you got that happening. So they broke the pro, they broke their poor, you know, they're struggling, trying to make it. They they started off as dancers, then they meet Frank Ferry, and he and their version um is that at least Fabrice's version is that they met him, he plays them the instrument of girl, you know it's true, they love it, and then they they start to think, okay, when are we gonna when are we gonna, you know, lay some vocals down? And then it explains to them after they signed the contract, which they said they didn't read, but you know. Taylor's all this time, you know, you're young, you broke, got no leverage, you know, you signed a contract. Um, and so um they find out that no, actually you won't be singing any of the music. It will have other people come in and sing this not Fabrice's version is is that um Rob was very upset about that, he was very upset about that, but then um Frank Ferry's assistant, uh, who was a woman that kind of was a liaison between them and Frank, basically said, Well, you already spent, you know, money for that we gave you your advance money. So Either you pay us back the money or you go along with, with the charade. And they obviously went along with charade. Uh the, the song blows up. They get they get signed to Aris in America. And what I think one of the best things about the documentary, what he does is number one, he he allows alternate versions of, of the story to exist because the girlfriend of Frank Ferrian, who was like the assistant, um, um he, he she said that they had no problem uh, with lip singing, but Fabrice said it did, so you can get to decide for yourself. Um, but one thing I thought was really great was that they they he asked questions to the heiress the execs, not Clive, there's no clapping going period. But he 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 asked questions of the execs, you know, did y'all know that these guys couldn't sing? Or when did you know? Um, and then they show a clip of Clive from his documentary saying, you know, we had no idea that they couldn't sing at all. No one knew. And then they they he, he cussed to a, a heiress exec and he's giving and he he gives he gives like the uh, camera that face like. That nigga knew, <laughs> but uh, but, but and that said, we all at some point they they knew for like at least six months after they signed a group that they could not that they weren't they weren't singing, um, but you know, like anything else, the machine was going, it was big, it was profitable, they were selling a bunch of merch and billions of albums and songs were all over the radio and you know, um, and then uh, and so they kept it going, and I think it's what I think it's what they, I think it's the what the best thing does to to sort of build empathy for the two guys is because. They took all the heat, these two guys, you know, Rob and Fab, but, you know, they couldn't have happened. They continued to happen and gotten as big as they got without the machine battle. Yet all these men, all these all these white people behind them, they essentially got all scot-free. They didn't have to deal with the fallout and, and the jokes and, the, and having their name be mud in, in the industry. You know, obviously Clive kept, kept active and the other executives, I'm assuming, I'm assuming they stayed on at Arisa, but, you know, Millie, they, their career was ruined, essentially. Um, and so it really highlights that. Uh, it's, 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 uh, the, the press conference when they when they get the, the Grammys they give the Grammys back was like probably one of the best ones because you really see it was they I mean the media basically just you know were berating them about how could you do this 
how could she just feed your fans? So blah blah blah, so on and so forth. And then at one point they they sing a little bit and, and, and you know they are not the one them with Luther Vandross, but they sounded pretty good. They're singing, you know, their own vocals. But then uh, at one point a white gentleman says, you know, what they asked he asked him, but why did you why would you do this? Why would you just see your fans? And then uh Rob said, uh, you know, because we I mean we were broke. We were hungry. We wanted to get out the projects. Like, you've been to the projects. And then he said, then uh, the same white guy said, We are telling we'll get you out. Then and the black journalist was like, Psh, spoken like a true white boy. You didn't even mean that shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, yeah, that was a, a good, a funny moment because it could, it could get very serious at times. Because um, obviously, after the after they, the initial success and they broke up, they released one album with their own voices that didn't do well. Um, and then Fab kept going he kept he released his own music that show, show clip him singing on the rupaul show in like the, the late 90s and he has a good voice um he he went that way but then you know rob he just i think i think the group falling apart and then losing fabrice as like a partner as a friend you know as a bandmate i think it really broke him and he just you know went down that path of like addiction and you know unfortunately he overdosed he died to get like 98 i believe um and then at the end it, it showed fabrice because fabrice still performs still puts out music you know um and show him performing uh, i think he performed uh either blame, blame on the rain or girl you know it's true and you know i think that what they were what they were highlighting is like yeah they weren't singing but like was it as was it as uh uh, uh was it was it as a, uh, was it was it the end of the world that these two guys weren't singing no like you know <laughs> was it was it the most horrible thing in the world that these two guys yeah should, should they have won the grammy not necessarily but the fact that they got found lip syncing, like, was it this tragedy that is need that they need to be raked over the coals for and just discarded and, and look at this as like these terrible human beings? Like, in hindsight, not really, you know. But and, and so I think it's what the documentary tries to do. Like, they try to do they, to, to strip away all the scandal, all the jokes, all the sort of like the horror of it all, especially now nowadays because you know, you know, like a, a lot of the girls are lip syncing. The mics are not on all the time, but right. uh, you know, so. They try to just string it down to like a human sort of like these are these two individuals. They made a choice. It went way left for them, and they got more to blame than they should have. And all the people behind them, most of them white folks, <laughs> uh, profited and got no blame. And why was that? And let's explore that. And let's let's stop treating them like villains in this story. They, they bear some of the responsibility because they signed the contract. They did the, they did the performances at some point as they both as they, as the documentary highlights. They they bought into the hype. They got big headed, but. In the grand scheme of things, it was more than just them, you know. And so, and and at the end, and at the end of the day, that music, um, you know, people like it, and they still like it, you know. <laughs> and and so, it's, I think it's a good documentary for for giving for for it's a good documentary in general, but definitely for like uh, changing the narrative around Rob and Fab and Millie Vanilli and, and giving them empathy and, and helping you develop empathy for them, you know. In a way that wasn't around, that didn't happen when this when it was the peak of the scandal. Hmm. Yeah, I always wanted to know why did they get the type of treatment they got. Like, like you said, they didn't break any crimes. They didn't. It wasn't the worst thing that could have been done. It was actually fucked up how they got exposed. You know, and, yeah, Frank um, Frank Farian exposing the producer because they because according to the documentary he's. They they he said they tried they tried basically they started to rebel against the control. They wanted to sing on the second album. He was like, "Nah, we y'all ain't gonna sing." So it's like, oh, okay, so well we not showing up on time for this video shoot, and we do show up. We want one hundred fifty thousand dollars to do this TV appearance. So we not going on. And at some point he was like, you know, well I'm not gonna let these two meatheads, uh, you know, 
black belt, black male me, and so that's when he exposed them. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it was fucked up, man. And like uh they didn't deserve all that, man. It was it was real fucked up uh how it, how it went down, honestly. But you know, that's that, that just another another example of how unforgiving and ugly the entertainment industry is, specifically music. It's it's mm. it's a beast. Um, and like you said, the perfect word, the machine, because <laughs> that's exactly what the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, overall, you you recommend the documentary? Oh yeah, definitely. Like even if, like I I wasn't really particularly interested in Mill Vanilli as far as like I don't like I'm, I don't listen to the music that much, or I don't you know, uh, it just you no, know, and not, not anything. I don't have anything against it. It's just it wasn't just so my. I think I think I no, I missed that era as far as like being like a you know someone who 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 would have had memories of them or, or like the or the videos or the performances like or whatever um but yeah it's it's good it's it's a good documentary it doesn't shy away from like the rougher darker parts of this story um but at the same time it ends on like a a, a note of like resilience and hope and also just like i said highlighting the fact that like you know yeah it wasn't great but it wasn't you know a crime against humanity that these two guys were lip-syncing you know <laughs> right you know? and let's recognize have done worse yeah like this let's like let's calm down and this like you know yeah, they bear some responsibility, like I said, because they signed the contract, they, they went along with it. But at the same time, Clyde has got Lord of Sky free, uh, all the heir to the executive, Frank Farron has got, you know, all these people that 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 were that were pulling the purse strings and making this shit happen, you know, basically just was like, mm-hmm, you know, and then and they get and they went on to the next thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Speaking of dirty businessmen, corrupt people in the music industry, I really didn't want to give it space, but we won't we won't spend too much time on this. But it made rounds and it was so big and so crazy and so bizarre that it got settled literally like the next day. Grand opening, grand um, closing. Right. Um we're we're referencing, we're talking about the Cassie uh lawsuit uh against uh Sean Combs. Um the details are very uh disturbing. Uh, not not uh not honestly not too far removed from the things we've been hearing about this man basically like since ninety-seven. Um that he is um very possessive, very mm-hmm. demanding, um has a very um I'm not going. I'm not going to judge his sex life necessarily. I don't want to keep shame or anything. But he's very um, aggressive in that realm as well. Um, but uh, also, just just low key comes off as a fucking supervillain. Um, there's a part that mentioned him blowing up Kid Cudi's car, and it actually I heard about happened. yeah, yeah, I heard about that, um, yeah. you know, because he dated Cassie. It's just very. It just adds to the legend of this man not being a good person um, that we've heard throughout the years from very, you know, all types of different people. And it makes you think, how long is this nigga going to continue to do this shit? Because, you know, we talk about slow burns for these scandals, right? Like, look how Mm. long R. Kelly got to continue Mm. in the industry with knowledge being that he was this way from him marrying Aaliyah 
their relationship to him having a tape that was revealed in I think two thousand or two thousand one. O two. Um how would you say? I think it was O two. Yeah, O two, mm-hmm. him being basically exposed, people talking about it, people watching it, and still having a very long run after that scandal. Like honestly, R. Kelly didn't become uh canceled, quote unquote, or targeted until like maybe 2012 or 2013. Mm-hmm. So like he had a 10-year span after that tape was uh revealed. And you know, the he basically became like a punchline, but then it was still like, oh, the music's still good. Mm-hmm. And um you look at how long it took for him to finally be I guess brought to terms on like the shit he was doing. You look at the same thing with Diddy. It's like this man has been doing whatever the fuck he wants forever. And it's like, is it because of the money, the name? You know, I I think even now people aren't gonna be like, forget that this shit happened. You know, it's gonna just be another thing you add to like the the myth of him being not a good person. It's like, oh, you know what, well, he did all this shit to Cassie, but you know, he settled, so he good. But he's also quickly though. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it, it go. It was no was no about for to me, you know, because she uh, he he said that she was trying to extort him, saying that you know she was going to go forward think, with a book about him or something like that. If he, if he, she didn't get thirty million, I think that's what it was. Or she she, she was it's a silver suit basically uh, with these things. Um, and and one he said he leaves a statement. One day saying this is extortion, this is shade down. I'm not having this. I'm going to fight this. And then 24 hours later, it's all settled, which you know goes. You know, if, if everybody knows at this point, did don't pay nobody nothing. Uh, at least not none of his artists. But if they do, we got to fight for it. You know, um, so like it's it's interesting that he could pay her settle in a, in a day and pay just pay it out and just have it be done with it you know when things that are being alleged you know forcing her to have sex with sex workers the, the car incident you know allegedly being physical abu- physically abusive emotionally abusive um you know the things that are alleged are some pretty some horrific shit you know and so the fact that he was sell so quickly you know to me it, it, it doesn't signal necessarily you know innocence. allegedly it doesn't, it doesn't signal it doesn't signal innocence in a sense it signals that she has some things to say and she had receipts and he didn't right. want to, and he didn't want to get it out and the fact that and the fact that she is she was willing to to essentially put all her business out put some business out there in terms of like because you know what we know the fact that she was willing to have that be public knowledge says that she has some receipts because you know I mean I'm sure she saw what happened to Make the Stallion because you know what's happened to Make the Stallion what's happened to um, any woman particularly any black woman that comes out and accuses like a black man or something it's like you already know what's going to happen oh why she waits so long or she's looking for or she's looking for money because she broke or she's looking for clout or she's trying to bring a black, black man down he's about to buy NBC you know it's just a, this you know it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or, or had she said it back then? Oh, she she young. She trying she trying to get on, and be famous, or you know why she didn't say. But you know, it's like she damned if have, you do, damned if, you, if don't. you don't. People people will always have something to say. You know, for t- towards the, the one who's doing the accusing. You know, towards the victim, and so 
the fact that she was willing, even willing to go that hard around and say like, no, I don't, I ain't, I ain't trying to get uh, silence. I won't, I'm, I'm pursuing this, this civil suit. And the fact that he sell it after making this big show of like how untrue it was and how she shouldn't be applauded, that, that to me that raises some real facts. I mean, that, I mean that uh, that seems to me that she had some receipts. Oh yeah, yeah. that shit. That shit. I believe all right, he did that shit. And then the then the next day to go on social media, you make a post talking about you still standing and just basically just bragging, you know. And um, he is it, just. It, what you say? It, it reminds me of when uh he there was that those uh those you know those articles came out about the artists talking about him and how he you know uh, how he ain't you know the same usual the usual how they haven't been paid how they got exploited I think it was I think it was uh Fred making the band saying that Diddy made him hate life which you no know, that all this what reading the article what all that isn't necessarily due to Diddy but 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 he he blamed Diddy for like you know just how things went with the with the band in general i think well that was the gist of it and then he, he did post some on instagram talking about you know uh basically saying kind of caught telling they, they were all weak and bitch asses and how they how, and how they need to get us together and not blame them for everything didn't sit in it in uh love y'all <laughs> you know it just it's, it's the you know it, it it just was it it fits a pattern of him uh using his position to like you know Exploit people like he. I mean, we everybody joke about it, but you look at making the band, you know, at the time. I'm not, I oh, no, that's sick. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember what I thought at the time, but looking at it now, especially as a, as a grown man, it's like he was, he was exploiting them short. But they were all of them were kids, but he was exploiting them basically. It wasn't about making a band or building, or building a career, it was about making good TV. About you know, because I mean, good TV, because what the fuck is like, what the fuck is washing cars and going to get cheesecake have to do with, <laughs> with being an artist, making you know? an album. Yeah, making an album. Yeah, he made him a joke because I mean, I think in that, I think they did like two videos and then one video. I think they they had like a cheesecake and like you know stuff from the show. But it was like you know they weren't trying to make him a serious thing. He was trying to make him like a, a side show, you know? Right, and and that's what he wanted. He wanted to make that show. He wanted to make it number one on MTV, mm -hmm. and he he observed how because I think if I'm if I remember correctly. Making a band was originally an ABC show. I think that's when they discovered O Town. Yeah, when they that put was the O Town together. Mm -hmm. Right, and then they went to then MTV got the rights, and I think you know P Diddy was still this big force in music. So I think they decided to like give it to him. And you know, with hip hop being the art form it is, he decided to make it aggressive, make it hard, make it like I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and he was like, I, I want, I want these different elements. This is what I want, mm. and the best way putting the band together, yeah, that's cool. You know, you do all this shit, whatever. But where do you go for for the next season? You got to make this entertaining. You know, you can't just have niggas in the room, like showing showing them in the studio rapping and singing. That's not good TV. Let's ramp it up. Mm -hmm. You know, let's take it there. You know, making them walk for cheesecake, mm -hmm. making them try to because they don't know the words. <laughs> well, yeah, washing cars, <laughs> shutting the studio down every episode. You know, it, it's just. Like as, as as much as Dave Chappelle is like an asshole of a man and like just a fucking bigot, he nailed that show and that skit because that's what it was. It was just outlandish shit, making him do the most ridiculous shit to appease him and get like just us to watch. You know what I'm saying? Right. It was and, before and, social media. And and then flipping it on them when they when they questioned like, you know, oh, you think you got the big head or whatever. Like I remember uh 
they came out and they, when they, when they were playing, they were playing that DMX song, that doom, 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 doom. and they came out talking about, oh, y'all think y'all did, y'all think y'all, y'all think I too good for that, you know, if you, if you feel like you, you, feel like you uh, can't do it, then do some swag about it, you know, walk that way. Yeah, and, then they, and then the camera doom, 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 went to break. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, this is the most, I, again, watching as a double, like, this is the most gaslighting shit ever. Like, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's a very weird relationship that Black uh, people hold with him. And I think it's because, and you've mentioned this before, because he got money. You know, he did. You know, same, if a nigga same got with, money. Same with Jay, yeah. same with Kanye, same with, with, with all, Rick Ross, all of them. Just like, you know, he got money, he made it. So he must know something that you don't. He must be good. He must be right. smart. And also the fact, I mean, trashness aside, I mean, he has genuine, he has had a genuine influence on popular culture in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. You know, you don't, uh-huh. you know, Mary, Jodeci, Biggie, Faith, Mace, you know, 112, and then also like TLC, you know, is, is he, you know, he he has had an impact. And I think, and that is, and that that's those parts of it are aspirational. You know, if you, if, you, if you ignore the fact that everybody on Bad Boy is broke, <laughs> it's, except for him, uh, and, you, and you ignore the stories and things like that, then he in that he is asked his success is aspirational, and I think people are so because of, because in America, you know, we've all been indoctrinated by capitalism and, and and have a certain vision of what success means and and what it means like to to do good and, and to and to and that equals like being stupid rich and and having a whole a whole lot of shit and it's being this huge successful you know figure now people don't necessarily want the, people people don't want the truth of what it took to get there and maintain that to interfere with the narrative so anybody so anybody that disrupts that narrative whether, whether that be mace whether that be um aubrey from making the band whether that be uh, now cassie you know anybody that disrupts that image that narrative that they go, they're gonna get they're gonna get all the uh smoke for that because people don't want that. They don't want the narrative disrupted. Same way they don't want the narrative disrupted on R. Kelly or on Bill Cosby. They want their, they want their vision. Right. And it's just, I just wonder when are we going to like get beyond the fact that this nigga just got money and he's been influential. I, like I get it. I get like I truly believe no one is canceled, right? Because even for the R. Kelly shit, I know people who would tell you, all right, I listen to his music. What you gonna do, beat my ass? You know? <laughs> and and that's, hey, whatever. That's your thing. Live in it. Whatever. But the Diddy shit, I think, would, like, he dropped the album this year, and I listened to it. You know, it wasn't horrible. It was better than what I thought it would be, but did we need that? Fuck no. no but, um... It's just, it's just. I just wonder how long is he going to be able to skate before the chickens come on the roost, and it's probably going to be a real long fucking time because the niggas, the niggas still rich, you know. He's he's still very very rich and very very influential, you know. Um, and it's just it was getting to the point to where I, I was kind of tolerating him, you know. Like I don't really just go to things that he, uh, do or whatever, but you know he he's. He he always keeps himself in the conversation. The, yes, in the conversation. Like part of the reason why he probably with Young Miami because she's younger. She's you know she's a part of this girl group that's big and it's like a little movement you know. So he attaches himself to her to mm-hmm. still be a thing you know. He got her 
talking about, you know, we go together real bad and all this shit. Hey, then the nigga has a baby. The nigga mm-hmm. 54 years old has a baby like last year. And it's like, well, what the fuck? You know, it's just, it's just very, I mean, it's not my business. Celebrities live completely different lives from regular people. Hell, it's, it's niggas in everyday life that do shit like that. But mm-hmm. it's just still weird shit that it's like, what the fuck is this nigga doing? Like, what is this game? What is his aim? I think the aim of this is just to be a, a presence, you know, because at this point, you know, here, I mean, he really, he really isn't known for like music or breaking like new artists. I mean, really think about it. Past, once you get past 01, 02, maybe 03, it's like he's not known for like hits or, or, or like or like bringing out new artists and having them really like blow up anymore uh-huh. so if that's not the case then you gotta expand the brand you gotta you know get into get, well he's already in the fashion in that in, in the 90s but you gotta you know lifestyle you know Ciroc and and club Ciroc and, and restaurants and clubs and uh whatever else he's doing you know he, he has to still have to be a presence somehow. yeah that, that revolt yeah, revolt, all those things like that. So you gotta still have your hands in quote, in quote, quote the culture, uh, while also doing like a solo rebrand. That's why the last rebrand love, and that's why you know that was that was that was a new name, but now the new name. He's not talking about like oh, R- I'm gonna focus on R and B now, not so much rap. And now, uh, not even just that, I'm gonna I'm gonna give my artist back the publishing, which Aubrey called bullshit on because she how she broke it down was essentially that they only getting paid for like the last few years of streaming streaming. And also the fact that he he just doesn't really own their music accounts anymore. Another I think Sony said that somebody owns them, and the fact that if they sign the contract that he want they want them to sign, they can never talk about him in public again. Never talk about uh, his mama again in public, um, and that would be it. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just. Uh, I don't know. I mean, his people is. People are gonna want to believe, but they want to believe about people, even even if it's the truth. They they may not even care that much. Like you said, all Kelly looks like, and people how people would say like, you know, another, even like another popular like stats that go around sometimes. People say, oh well, if all Kelly got out of jail today, I'd be I'd be at the concert. You know, it's like, my, and my take on it at this point is like we we especially as millennials, older millennials, we we have literally been arguing about this man since we were actual children. <laughs> and and so and so at this point, my thing is okay. You want to listen to R. Kelly? Listen to R. Kelly, but let's not ignore the reality of the situation. That nigga is a predator. Right? He's also talented. He's a talented predator. So if you can if you can live with that, then go ahead and club club bump and grind and have have a ball. But don't play in my face and act like this man you know wasn't <laughs> preying on girls for thirty plus years. Same with Bill Cosby. Right. You know, when I watch Kyle show when it comes on, you know, yeah, different world. Also, yeah, do I am I in denial about who Bill Cosby is? No. Uh, uh. It's, it's it's a wild time, man. <laughs> like I I just can't believe this nigga is just this level of fucking weird, like and crazy, like. And, but and I know those... He got that control. He got that. He got he. He he he's like a sleeker. Well, I'm not well, Yeah, he's like a sleeker version of what Suge was, because Suge was more blunt force, literally. Oh know? yeah. But like he he, but Diddy got that more suave, slick. I'm gonna say with dream type of uh type of shit. Right. 
and, and he's he was able because he wasn't as gruff and, it, and also physically because obviously sugar's very you know big dude but diddy had that suave like cosmopolitan sort of image that he cultivated and so he could hide the darkness and maybe the, the anger or whatever else was whatever else lurks beneath underneath that in a way that sugar could not right it's, it's, it, that's wild though but yeah I guess this nigga continues to live another day and, yeah. uh, but, but I will say what's notable is that you know usually when the allegations come out you know people who have some, some celebrities that uh, jump out the window and, and say oh that's not the person I know but I ain't really been seeing that with, with this you know you had uh, 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 Kid Cutter confirm us somehow with his call in 2012 and you had Kamora who been speaking, speaking out about him you know um I want to say it's one other person I said that they also was speaking out about it too. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen people like come to his defense really. Oh, you talking about Diddy? Yeah. Oh, no, nah, no, nah, ain't nobody doing that because it's like I think the industry knows, but people yeah. just don't want to say anything because you know, risk of being blackballed or you know, uh, losing but, money or shit at the very <laughs> most. Kill. He blowing niggas' cars up. <laughs> well, well I, I wonder though. Does he even? Would he even still have that power? Because I mean, this is something that Mariah talked about in her book about Tommy Mottola. It's like that type of record, that type of uh, all power of executive doesn't really exist in the business anymore, or like it did back in the day. You know, does that person really even, really even exist anymore? Like I said, when's the last time did he made a did he? Uh, Signed an artist and 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 the artist came out with an album and they and they and they and the album and the artist blew up and became iconic. I think it's more so about the, I guess the behind the scenes type mm. of shit he said, like the strings he still could pull. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the money he has, you know, he still has money to where he could pay somebody to influence someone or pay someone to do some, you know, blowing up a nigga car. Yeah. <laughs> I, which I, which I guess was like more of a threat than like him actually like trying to kill him, yes, you know. So yeah, it's just it's a lot. It's yeah. a, it's, it's a lot. And also, I think it would change with the, if people were like just would just actually take uh, people's claims seriously, not necessarily automatically right. believe them, but uh, but take them seriously. If the media action is oh damn, let me, let's let's see where this goes. Let's let's let's, let's hear her out, hear her out or, or them out and and hear what they have to say and, and see do and you know, um, and really like consider what is being said and what and what the and what the claims are, um, rather than rather than the media action being like oh she just like a uh, cloud oh she she why she ain't saying anything back then why she waited till now oh I guess her husband broke and they fit this thing ain't working so she gotta get some money from somewhere like if that if that if that was the initial reaction and the first thing I said was the initial reaction then you probably would have more of a sustained backlash you know right um what do you do you think do you think nothing happened do you think he continues to be the same old, you know, but well, I mean, but they, they weren't criminal. It's not it wasn't a criminal uh, charge that was being brought against. It was, it was a civil case. So uh-huh. at the most, it was you know she was asking for some damp for damages or, or she was like, it would be civil penalties that he would face, not criminal penalties he would face. So in terms of any consequences, I mean, she soon came out, got settled. I mean, I guess as a public public perception fallout. You know that he had, may have to do it for a minute, but who who knows how long that would have to last? I don't know. Um, if somebody now if somebody else comes out 
and 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 they say, and if it's somebody like somebody who's like high profile, I'm saying, well, you, you know, I ain't about to settle. Not that this is running wrong with with Cassie Silver, but but uh, if they someone else comes out, you know, and if, if the floodgates open to the point we to, to the point we get like a surviving Diddy, then it's a wrap. <laughs> you know, um, that I think that that would be if that if that's something like that happens where like there are enough people who are high profile or even not people who you know who who would have been in the industry when he was in the industry and, and who were active and who have names and have you know recognition that if they if people start coming out like that and they have stories you know to the point where to the point where it's unavoidable and, and it has to be talked about then then yeah i could see i could see you know his influence uh going way down because at that point you know he, he'd be you know radioactive in terms of like you know uh association hmm yeah, I, I think I think that is I think this is something that's gonna stick a little longer, but like does it change anything? No. And like you said, until something like completely damaging comes up with more than one person with like enough people bold and brave enough to tell the, the rest of the stories. But he just has so much pull. Like I, I remember um reading Wendy Williams' book, the first one, and she mentioned how he pretty much got her to kicked out of Philadelphia like he mm. the, and, and that's another thing I mean by like the connections he had like yeah granted mm. we know he he not making no new artists you know mm. uh, he's still making music but it's more so like collective efforts with people already established and mm. you know we don't know what he could have done to help them but he hasn't like outright been like bad boy affiliated made any new artists whatever but you know he still has all this fucking money so it's still being able to like manipulate people or manipulate things to fit his image or his ideas or whatever the fuck. Mm -hmm. But it's sad though. And I hope that Cassie got a lot more than a lot of women don't get in situations like that. You know, she got the bag and she got, you know, away from him with her life. So I hope she's able to have some peace knowing mm -hmm. that, you know, she still is able to live and, you know, be at least taken care of financially um but yeah it's 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 weird man it's 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 a it's a huge i kind of get what andre means now like when you look at the if you look at him and diddy and i think diddy's a little older but they're, they're like in the same generation yeah um andre left he left he walked away from it you know he was like you know this is cool but i'm good meanwhile diddy is still thriving in that shit. You know, he still wants to be considered hot. He wants to be considered popular. He wants to be on the talk of the town. You know, he wants to be on Instagram. He wants to be, he wants to be visible. He mm. wants to continue to make music, rap, and all that shit like it's 99. But at what cost? Because, you know, you, you look crazy. You know, you're out here doing this damaging shit. You're hurting people. It's like, what price is fame? You know, what, what why do you need to still do this shit? And I think it's it, it's kind of interesting that both of them niggas dropped albums the same year and they're both, you know, in conversations for different reasons. But it's like maybe you should sit the fuck down. Maybe you should play a fucking flute. And well just... maybe maybe you should. I mean, I think because you could be out here and still and still desire to connect with the audience and be like, you know, in conversation. I mean, because you know, uh, 
you have older, older artists that, that still are active, like like Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton is like, you know, I think probably like late 70s at this point, early 80s, and she still, you know, is a presence. But her version uh, of presence uh-huh. is, yeah she, yeah, she does her music and, and performs, but she has like her, her Dolly Land and, and like her uh, literacy programs, things like that. Things that are giving, <laughs> that, are, that are, you know, uh, giving back to the world. Diddy's version of it, like he still wants to be that dude and just sort of consume. I mean, he's still he's still in that mode of like you know, uh, I'm gonna get it how I'm gonna get it, and and, and I'm I'm gonna uh, take whatever I gotta take and do. You know that he he's on that, seems to be still to be on that energy, and wants to be talked about. You know, that's two different. That's a very different thing than what say Andre is doing and what Dolly is is doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um... Yeah, she is. She is having her moment. I think it's good mm. she's getting her flowers while she's still alive. Uh, mm. My mom was a huge Dolly Parton fan. And um, she's just another one of those people who's been around forever. I, it's like, man, it's, sometimes I feel old, but sometimes I feel young because it's like people who were older in my child, who were, you know, old in my childhood, quote unquote, like midlife, mm. are still here. And it's like, damn, it's like <laughs> the time stopped. Like, mm-hmm. the time what the fuck? Yeah. But uh there is anything else going on that you wanted to highlight on the episode before we get ready to wrap up? Mm, I mean we also had Kiki just as similar, you know, talking about you know in terms of talking about abuse, but oh know, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's another one. Uh that's that's an unfortunate situation too, especially with the everything leaking but when that situation happened though with him sounding like that i knew it was something going on at home between them that wasn't peaches and cream because why would you go online and embarrass your partner like that you know mm-hmm. over something so so trivial frivol- yeah trivial so frivolous like a woman you're married to not married but you yeah. you have a child with a celebrity and celebrities wear revealing clothes, you know, that they get for free. Uh, they go out on the town. They have nights with other celebrities, you know. It's just it's just things like that that he didn't seem to comprehend or want to comprehend in those tweets that made me be like, man, something, they not together or they on the verge of not being together. Mm. For him that lash out like that. Mm. Uh, did I think it was domestic violence? Nah, not necessarily, no. But I did think it was something going on that uh, she was trying to either get away from or like maybe like navigate because it, it, it whenever a partner talks like that online about someone, it's usually some smoke to the fire. But um, like I said, I didn't think it would be domestic violence. But I hope uh, she's able to get away from this situation and continue to be uh, the star and just continue to have uh, a wonderful career. Because the woman... Um, She's making strides. Like every time you think, you know, she might be going off rails, or you know, I, there was one point where I was like, "What the hell wrong with Kiki Palmer?" When she was like, uh, I think she had a Breakfast Club interview and uh, some other things. She had like a TV show, some some other shit. And I was like, Man, "What's wrong with her?" Then next thing I know, she was on Good Morning America. And then she she started um getting back into big acting roles, like Nope mm-hmm. and um. She was on insecure, so she she finds ways to be relevant. Hmm. Yeah, but 
Yeah, hopefully. I know she's got custody, and and, and I'm assuming you know they, she's far away from him. You know, so yeah. Oh yeah. 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 He 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 fucked up royally because I don't I I didn't know who this man was before. I still don't know who he is, other than he's abusive and uh, extremely stupid. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's about. I think it's all that I had uh, to, you know, terms of like re- recent events. So, yeah, uh, that's it for me as well. I I do I did enjoy. Um, it, this has been a great year for R and B and indie R and B in particular. Like uh, Cleo Soul, who Cleo Soul, who dropped two projects. Uh, Sampa had a really great album. Uh who else dropped? Oh, uh, you look at Victoria Monet, mm, mm. who who's having a great year. So it's it's been a great year for R and B. Uh, rap, I can't speak too much of. I mean, I'm sure it's been some good rap projects, but I've been more so listening to things that are a bit softer and a bit uh, more chill. Uh, you know, I guess that's why Andre decided to drop this flute album. So Maybe. it's just I don't know. It just Real quick from uh from a uh, rock heads or you know pop rock whatever you call it, Fifi Dobson has has a new album out. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's 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 good. I have to check it out. What's it called? I I can't give it off the top of my head, but it's a, it's good. It's it's, it's a good album. I can, you can, I can definitely hear it being played like alongside like Willow's album or even like you know Paramore or somebody you know like that. It's, it's definitely not a wheelhouse, right? Hmm. So I check. I have to look for. I have to look out for. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it for the most part from us. Uh, thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for and enjoying the shows. Uh, we still here. You know, uh, life happens, but we still want to make this podcast. We still seek out uh topics to talk about. You know, most podcasts really don't make it past episode seven and. We still here, so uh, we're not looking to get rich from this though. Like this is more so like a labor of love, you know. Like um, I always look at this as quality time. I get to spend with uh, one of my friends that I don't talk to every day, but we have this moment where we get together and we talk about things that we like, and then go back out in life, and then come back and do it all over again. So mm-hmm. thank y'all for being a part of that and for sharing this, and um, thanks. Be safe. We'll be back before the year ends uh, for sure. Uh, probably just to talk about the year in review of pop culture and talk about whatever else pops up or comes across or whatever else we discover or find. So be on the lookout for that. And y'all enjoy your holidays. Uh, be good to each other. Be safe. Uh, keep your eyes open and your eyebrows raised. And, and don't have nobody out here making you look crazy. Don't don't let don't let these people play in your face, because life is too short to be having people fuck over you. So, mm. protect your peace, protect your neck. Bye.